As always, it's a delight to be with you folks here today, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to this day, and I'm excited about the possibility of you all getting a pastor. Uh, I hope that works out well, and, uh, and uh, the next few days are going to be exciting for you folks. I am, I am confident of that. We, uh, uh, we are going to be presenting some things tonight, uh, today, that, that uh, uh, are going to be a little, a little bit different, uh, but um, I, I hope that they'll be very helpful to us. As you know, we've been studying the book of 2 Timothy this year and uh, dealing with the, the uh, last will and testament, if you will, of the Apostle Paul, his last letter to Timothy, his son of the faith. And Paul is about to die. He's on, he, his execution is imminent, and he is presenting things to Timothy. Here's what needs to be done, and so on and so forth. Today we come to problems within the local church, and I, ha- and I had you read from the Old Testament the story uh, of, of, of the manna for two reasons. Uh, first of all, how, how, how ridiculous the children of Israel were, okay, with all, everything that had taken place, and yet the, gra- the goodness of God, the, the grace of God uh, that continued to be a blessing. We're going, to be, we're going to be talking today about problems within a local church. To read again from 2 Timothy, Now in a great house there are only, not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart and, and peace along with those, uh, let's see, have nothing to do with the foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that, that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patient, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Problems within the local church. Our context, last, last month we dealt with early the, the scripture just preceding. Uh, Paul admonished Timothy not to quarrel about words which do no good, but only ruins the hearers. He used a couple of guys by the name of Hymenius and Philetus as the il- illustration I'm sure Timothy knew exactly who those guys were. We only know that they were involved in a heresy. Uh, but but uh, the, the wonderful truth that we found at the end of that text is, but God knows who are his. And I'm thankful that that's true. Amen? Well, I'm going to chase a rabbit this morning, okay? And, and, and I'm going to do so because, because uh, I, I, I think it'll... It, it's not something that, that we don't know, but it just encourages us to, to remember sometimes. And that is, what is a church? For some people, a church is an organization. For some, it's a denomination. But we know the church, uh, the church, to be the body of believers of all times and local churches uh, to, to be the, the place where we uh, worship here on earth. 
A body of believers is a local assembly, a, a local church is a local assembly that includes, unfortunately, sheep and goats. I wish that we somehow had a means by which we could uh, be certain and sure that there was never a lost person in our midst. But that's impossible because we don't know the hearts of people. And, uh, and throughout Scripture, we find people uh, that, that were there and they were a part of everything, and they didn't get it. Judas, of course, stands out one of the disciples, the most trusted of the disciples. He was the one they trusted to keep the money. Okay? That means that they trusted him. And he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of, of 2 Timothy, Paul talks about demons having forsaken him, having loved this present world. We've just seen Hymenius and Philetus. All these demons and Hymenius and Philetus were probably members of, of local churches, but they were probably not saved. <coughs> you see, a local church is an interesting situation in that. It's ordained by God for the preaching of the gospel, the administration of the ordinances, the fellowship of the saints, and discipline. And yet, as we read in our, in our uh, reading from the confession, the purest churches under heaven are subject to mixture and error. And some have so generated as, degenerated as to become no churches of Christ but of Satan. Nevertheless, Christ always has had and ever shall have a kingdom in this world to the end thereof of such as believe in him and will make professions of his name. As Baptists, one of our distinctives is that we, we believe in a regenerate church membership. That's important. I believe it's extremely important. It's important because we, we hold that a person comes to uh, membership in a church having trusted Christ as Savior. There was a lady when I was growing up that was our neighbor, and uh, she was a, a very interesting character, okay? Uh, she, was, uh, she was the uh, heiress to the Fulton uh, steam engine uh, fortune, and uh, she was, you would never know it. To, to, she was one of the most down-to-earth people, helpful, just, just one of us. But one day, my, my mother, she was talking to my mother, and something came up about becoming a Christian. And she got very, very upset. And she says, well, of course I'm a Christian. I'm an American, aren't I? Yeah. And for a lot of people, that is exactly what, what being a Christian is, what, what, it, what it means. But the truth of the matter is, as we begin, we need to understand uh, the 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 uh, seriousness of this. Now, the great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but wood and clay. There are problems within local churches, and I'm going to suggest to you that the larger the church, the greater the problem. Unfortunately, a lot of our larger churches have become more organizations than churches, and uh, they cover over, they gloss over the situation by ceasing to be a church. So why join a church? I, I will be very candid and honest with you. There have been times when I have questioned that. 
why, why should we join a local church? And the only answer I can give you is it's a command of God. <laughs> that's, the only, that's the only reason I can give you, okay? And then somebody comes back and says, well, can I be a believer and not a member of a local church? And the answer to that is probably not. And somebody says, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you saying salvation is by work? No, no. But, but when a person professes faith in Christ, he is saying that I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. How can I say that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life when I won't even obey him in the simplest of commandments? Now, there are exceptions. If you ever go on a three-hour tour on a boat and you wind up on Gilligan's Island, you might be in a position where there's not a local church. Okay? I work in a place where, it's, where we have a lot of people. And there's not a possibility of having a local church. Yes, we have, we have services, we have preaching, we have, we, have, um, we have a lot of the trappings of religion, but we do not have a local church. And we cannot have a local church in that setting. And it's a, it's a situation that some of the fellows that have trusted Christ and have begun to grow, I, I make it clear to them that, that this is going to be something that you're going to have to deal with. Um, and there are other places where there are exceptions and so on and so forth. But the point we're simply trying to make is, as we begin today, I want us to look at the issue from the standpoint of, of from the natural, why? Why even bother? And yet we do so because God has commanded it. The church is ordained of God. But there's going to be problems. Know it for sure, know it for absolute. If we are in a local church, there will be problems. And the question is, how do we handle those problems? <clears throat> well, there's a whole list of things here. And I, I wish we had time to cover everything that's given here. We're just going to be able to kind of gloss over the top of this. But there are going to be some things today that I hope will be a blessing. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to knowledge to, to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Boy, that first, that first line is interesting. Flee youthful passions. Here we have a negative, to flee from. And, 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 the, and, and the illustration, Paul says, flee youthful uh, passions. I'm going to get myself in trouble, okay? But I'm going, to say, I'm going to suggest to you tonight, this morning, that young people have the strongest urges to sin and the least amount of knowledge to resist sin. Amen. And some of you who are young are going to chafe at that a little bit, and you're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to appreciate it 
And you're going to be like I was when I came home from college and my grandfather looked at me and said, son, if I could put my brain in your body, we'd have it made. <laughs> I was offended. The older I get, the more wisdom I hear in that. But the truth of the matter is, we are to flee youthful lusts, youthful passions. Um, flee. It doesn't say battle with them. It says flee from them. I'm going to suggest to you, you don't allow a child to combat a rattlesnake. You don't allow a child to combat a lion. You don't allow a child to combat a scorpion. How do we deal with those kinds of situations? We flee from them. Get away from it, as far away from it as you can. Am I right? Flee. Our only defense is to flee in many situations. Samson didn't flee. He went down to Timnath and he saw there a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And all of a sudden, boy, that looked good. Joseph fled. Oh, and it cost him, at least temporally. But what the day came when it was a great blessing. But our fleeing is not so much fleeing from as it is fleeing to. You see, it says flee from, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Fleeing from sin without pursuing righteousness is an exercise in futility. If I run from sin and I and that's all I do, nature abhors a vacuum, am I right? And and where if if we don't fill that with something, we're 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 in a world of hurt. We get the idea, well if we just can get kids to do something positive. And, and there's, there's some wisdom in that. I think kids ought to be involved in, in, uh, in positive pursuits, uh, things that, that, that give them the opportunity to do things. But we need to understand that just getting the kids to do something positive does not combat the problem. It is pursuing that which is the work of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. What are we to be pursuing? We are to be pursuing that which the Spirit of God only can do in our lives. These things are the work of the Holy Spirit. We have to be very careful that we, we pursue, but we are pursuing the work of the Holy Spirit. And then we have to be careful not to combat problems the wrong way. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. One of the greatest lies of the devil is that if I'm going to be an effective testimony for Christ in our world, I have to know about evil. I have to know about sin. I have to learn as much as I can about things that are wrong and so on and so forth. May I suggest to you that nothing can be farther from the truth. I had a cousin a few years ago that that uh, got involved with, and, and I to this day don't know what he was trying to get at. But uh, I just I, finally I just say you know I, I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm not interested in even even 
dealing with that, okay? Why? Because there's nothing positive going to come out of it. Nothing positive even trying to refute it. We don't learn about evil to combat evil. We learn the truth of God's word. And, and then we're kind to everyone. Verse 24 says, And the Lord's servant must be, not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. There's an old adage that I heard when I was a young, uh, young man, and it has been very helpful to me throughout my life. It goes like this. Love without honesty is hypocrisy. Honesty without love is brutality. May I suggest to you that trying to walk that balance is one of the greatest challenges of the Christian life. We have those who, in the name of love, don't want to confront anything. They don't want to say that anything is wrong, nothing is, is bad, and so on and so forth. And they wind up smiling on things that God doesn't smile on, okay? On the other hand, we have people who, they are right, they are standing for truth, and they use the truth as a bludgeon. You know, the old adage, Molly, get the hammer, there's a fly on baby's head. <laughs> and that's, and that's, how they, that's how they do things. We're kind to everyone. One of the things that we're taught at the part of corrections is approach determines response. We have to be very careful to, to approach things to try to get a positive response. This is the opposite of quid pro quo or tit for tat. It means that we're kind no matter how they approach us. But the difficulty in the world in which we live is our attempts at kindness will not always be taken as kindness. We live in a, in a world where the LBGTQ uh, people uh, make a lot of noise. And you know, there, 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 there is a modicum of truth to what they say. Because I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say that we have not been kind in how we've dealt with those people in the past, all right? But now, they don't want kindness. They want affirmation. And anything short of affirmation is considered unkind, hateful. Now, the truth of the matter is, the most loving thing that we can do is to, in a biblical and loving manner, stand and say, thus saith the Lord. But we need to understand that it's not always going to be accepted in the spirit in which it was given. We've got to be careful. And then the Bible says that we need to be able to teach and I find that interesting because Paul earlier said, study to show yourself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. But here he says that we should be able to teach. May I suggest to you in order to teach it, I've got to know it. 
I've got to know what's going on. And I'm going to say something here that I, w I want you to think about very carefully. Very often, we have the idea that we learn something for ourselves. I want to know. I want to have information. I want to be able to be smarter than everybody else. I want to have all my ducks in a row, my theology, and so on and so forth. But God says that one of the reasons we learn is not for ourselves, but so we can teach others. One of the most important things that we learn in, in our Christian life is we have to teach others. Be, be ready to, 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 to help somebody when they need help. One of, the, one of the common things that happens to me as a chaplain with the Department of Corrections is, is somebody will show up my doorstep, chaplain, I have a question. And you never know what you're about to get <laughs> when you get that. But, but uh, it, is, it is a challenge, but it is a great opportunity. And hopefully we are able to, most of the time, give answers that will be useful and helpful to these people. And then we patiently endure evil, not rendering evil for evil. We have to be very careful when we're patiently enduring evil. But on the one hand, we're not rendering evil for evil, but we're also not enabling evil. One of the, one of the great conundrums of, of the day in which we live is the homeless situation. Because there are people who truly are, if I can use their terminology, down on their luck. And as believers, we ought to do what we can to help them. But we have an awful lot of people who are not down on anything except work. And they simply are, are out there, as my cousin used to call it, getting by on a free and, and, and what we are doing when we give to these people is we are enabling them to continue in evil. We, are, it, we become enablers. We have to be very careful. We patiently endure evil, not rendering evil for evil, but not enabling evil either. And then we correct our opponents with gentleness. Confrontation is inevitable. We're not going to be able to avoid confrontation in our lives. But sometimes we need to remember how God deals with us. God chastens us. He corrects us. But he does not punish us. Let me say that again. He chastens us and he corrects us. But he does not punish us. What does is, what is Romans 8, 1 say? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. No condemnation. May I suggest to you that God, with his children, never says, all right, I'm fed up with you, I've had enough, and, and that's it, I'm going I'm to let you have it. Now, he, he will correct, and sometimes it is rather severe. Amen? I, have a, I had a father who was a strict disciplinarian. I know what severe chastening is. 
and there were times I did not appreciate it. There are times when I felt that there surely had to be a better way to do things than this. And maybe there was, because my father certainly was nothing, uh, was, was not uh, infallible in everything he did. But I also can remember that the times when, when he had to chasten me most severely were the times that when he got finished, his eyes were moist. And the hurt in him was greater than the hurt that I had just received. I did not understand the old saying, this is going to hurt me more than it does you, until I had to spank my own child for the first time. And then I realized that God does not do what he does out of a spirit of vindictiveness or vengeance. He does so because he's correcting it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Now up until now, now we're talking about the how of, of, of confrontation. But then we get to the purpose of confrontation. And I find these verses to be very fascinating. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Now, to me, that's interesting for this reason. On the one hand, who is confronting these people? Who is having to go through the difficulties and the discomfort of dealing with something that isn't right? <laughs> it's us, all right? And we don't like it. At least I hope you don't like it. All right? And yet, God puts us out there because God uses people. Everything in the context is about how we deal with problems in the church, but the result of that is that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Just as when we preach the gospel, Romans chapter 10 says, how shall they hear without a preacher? God does not generally save somebody by hitting them up the side of the head with a lightning bolt and, and knocking them to the ground. Okay. If we were to hear your testimonies here today, I would, I would venture to say that every one of us would tell about somebody or somebodies who presented the gospel to you at least once or maybe over a period of years. And God was using the human instrumentality. God uses people. He uses means. Now, when we get ready to be a, a witness for, for the Lord, <laughs> I don't know about you, you're probably more spiritual than I am, okay? But, but, uh, but I, I uh, have a hard time with this because uh, I want every, everybody to, you know, everybody just get it, okay? Wow, I get it. 
okay, that was so logically and, and simply put. I get it. And everybody says that. And we're all happy and we're dancing on the street. And we're... But sometimes we are witnesses for and sometimes we are witnesses against. Ooh, and that one is not a, a pleasant one. Sometimes God uses us to deal with a situation where we are not witnessing for, but we will be the witness against that person. So what are we trying to accomplish? God may perhaps give them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses. I love that, don't you? That they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The bitter truth, there will be confrontation. And those confrontations can be devastating. We have to be careful. Is it our goal to win the argument? To put that person in his place? The irony is we are doing the confrontation so that God may perhaps give them repentance. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How shall they hear without a preacher? We must declare the truth and it must be done fearlessly. But we must leave time for the spirit of God to do his work. But they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. I think it's interesting that the word senses is used because I believe that Christianity makes sense. Whether it's creation, archaeology, philosophy, astronomy, physics, or whatever other uh, discipline that you want to deal with, doing so from a Christian basis makes sense. It is far more scientifically scientific to believe that God created the heavens and the earth than that the earth came to existence from some kind of an explosion out of nothing. And life sprang only from life. The fact that God is and God is holy is the basis for philosophy. Studying the handiwork of God as we look into the stars, looking into the, into the, the test tube, the microscope, whatever it happens to be. Nothing else makes any sense except to the mind that has been given over to believe the lie. Sin began in the Garden of Eden with the deception, hath God said. Hath God said. And I'm going to suggest to you that from that day and forward, Satan has been able to convince people that the most obvious Fundamental truths in all the world are ridiculous. Because of our fallen nature, it's easy for us to get caught up, even as believers, in half God's sand. Because of our fallen nature, we must understand that our sanctification is not complete, our knowledge is not complete but it's not too late to come to our senses. And the wonderful truth that we, we want to leave with you here this, this morning is there are going to be problems. And Paul is dealing with this with Timothy, not from the standpoint, 
if you do this, all your problems will be resolved. There are times when problems don't get resolved. But when we do that which God would have us do, there are situations that come along in which God is able to resolve situations. And we continue to worship in a local church even though we have all kinds of difficulties and all kinds of problems, all kinds of personalities and all kinds of backgrounds and sometimes we just rub people the wrong way and sometimes they rub us the wrong way. And all these things, but we still continue to and we still look to resolve things in a biblical manner because we're, it's not too late yet for us to come to our senses. Let's bow our heads in prayer.